Hey, good to be with you guys. Good to have you at church. How are we all doing? Great. We're going to turn to the Bible. It is one of the most remarkable, it's one of the most, yeah, it's one of many great books. And no, in fact, it, in fact, I've narrowed down, it is the best book in the whole world ever. It's incredible. And in fact, it's not just, it's not just like someone wrote this. God inspired this book and it can become foundational in our, in our life and on our understanding. So, Father, we give this time to you as we take time in the Bible. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you'd literally talk to our hearts. You challenge us where we need challenged. You take us on a journey, Lord God. Help us to understand you more. Father, thank you. You're a great God. Thank you. You're omnipresent. Thank you. Right now, as they've got this healing service going on across and Gorgi, you're there with mighty power. And our prayer is that people would experience, even now, as we're praying, your healing power in their lives and your saving power in their lives, just as they would tonight in, here in Leith. We also believe you're omnipresent and you're in India. And we pray, God, for Solomon and some of those kids who have had to be taken into hospital. We pray for healing in their bodies. God, in that desperate situation, let the church shine and let people, turn it for good. Let people come to faith and let people be physically saved as well. We ask God, just be mighty among us. We glorify you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear it for God. Give him a massive round of applause. Okay, uh, the journey of success. When you're four years old, success is not piddling your pants. When you're 12, success is having friends. When you're 17, success is having your driver's license. When you're 20, so sorry, when you're 35, success is having money. When you're 50, success is having money. When you're 70, success is having a driver's license. <laughs> when you're 75, success is having friends. And when you're 80, success is not piddling your pants. <laughs> that bit's not in the Bible. But what I'm going to share from the Bible relates to that in a kind of funny way, in that this psalm we're going to be basing our teaching on today is all about how do you be a successful person? The Psalm's all about that. How do you succeed, not just at one point in your life, but how do you succeed through the entirety of your life and eternity? So in a moment, we're going to dig into Psalm 92, one of my favorite Psalms. The verses we're going to be focusing on are some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And uh, the psalm, just because for time's sake, we're not going to be able to teach it all. There's so much to talk about in that psalm. So I'm going to focus on the second half of the psalm. The psalm is divided in two parts. The first part, verses 1 to 11, focuses on God. It's focusing on worship. There's a lot of personal pronouns used describing I worship you, describing you, God, and I, me, the worshiper. That's how it starts first part of the psalm. Second part of the psalm is a description of a person who is planted in the house of God. It's a description of a person. So it goes into the third person, the last part of the psalm, and that's the bit we're going to be focusing on. So let's read the whole psalm to start with, and then we'll zoom in in verses 12 to 15 towards the end. So the whole psalm. Psalm 92, in the introduction that, that is found in the original uh, text, it says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It's great to praise God, isn't it? 
to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. I don't know about you, but that's often how I start my day. I was re- when I was thinking about this psalm, I was thinking about how I start my day when I pray. And typically, I set my alarm for about quarter to six. I love it then. I love it and I hate it then. My body hates it then, but my spirit loves it. I'm up and I'm praying, and it's, sometimes it's a bit of a thought to get up. But when I'm up, I go out and I pray, and I just walk. And I get my jacket on, and I walk, and I talk to God. And some of the first things that come out of my mouth is, thank you for me. Thank you, you love me. I'm just so, I'm so convinced he's for me. So I start my day that way. Thank you, you love me. It's a great way to start your day. It puts everything in perspective. Before your failures, before the challenges of the day, before your past, before everything else, he loves you. Steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness by night, end of the day. He's been God again today. He's on the throne. He's been good. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, Raising the bar for you guys here. Or the synth with Apple Mac computer. <laughs> for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your works. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. You know, many people get excited about the, the works of their hands. You know, when you've accomplished something with your own hands, you get really excited about it. But when you're a believer, you get excited about what God's done. You think, wow, look at what God's done. So you're excited about the works of God's hands. And it says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. In other words, when we're looking at this world, we're saying, God, this is the work of your hands. And when you take a bit of time to ponder that, and you should every so often, just take a bit of time to stop and to really think about it and to think on God and to meditate on that. Do you know what? You suddenly realize this is an intelligent, deep-thinking God who created this. If he could create a universe with such complexity, his mind is bigger than my mind. So you can't fathom God. You can't figure him out. You can't write him down. You can't get him pinned down. He's God. He's bigger and more unfathomable than you and I could ever imagine. It says, the stupid man cannot know. The fool does not understand this. That though the wicked sprout like the grass and the evildoers flourish, say flourish, They are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Notice this psalm doesn't pretend that, oh, you love God and you're righteous and everything goes well with you, and you don't love God and you're unrighteous and everything goes badly for you. It doesn't say that. It says, though the wicked, what? Flourish. The psalm's really realistic, but we'll come back to that in a moment when we're looking at the second half of the psalm. It says, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. Behold your enemies, O Lord, uh, for behold, your enemies shall perish, and all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox, and you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. So that's the first part of the Psalm, verses 1 to 11, and that's I speaking to you, God. But then it goes on to a description. This is verses 12 onwards, and it says, a description of a person who's planted. It says, for the righteous flourish, say flourish, like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will be ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock 
there is no unrighteousness in him. So here we're given this picture, and this is the picture I want to zoom in on. It's about someone's life being like a tree that's planted in the house of God. Now, that's a very familiar image in those ancient eastern parts, where it was quite commonplace for large properties to have courtyards, and in the courtyards to have trees that were big trees. And in the, in the, in the heat of the sun, the trees would give shade in that courtyard space. That was quite commonplace. And these trees would also be protected by being in that enclosed environment from some of the elements. Verse 13 says, They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Right, if you've noticed, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've been going, we've been going through Psalms. And what you notice as we've been going through the Psalms is there's an inseparableness between someone's relationship with God and someone's relationship with church. You notice that in the Psalms? I, I, to be honest, I kind of knew it was there, but I hadn't seen it as strongly as I have since I've been preaching these Psalms. We're now in week seven, and almost every single week, for example, one thing I desire, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. So there's a guy beholding the beauty of the Lord in the house of the Lord, inseparable. And it's right through the Psalms. It's just there. In other words, there's something to do with being committed to the house of God and being committed to the God of the house of God. Inseparable. And here we're seeing it in the Psalm again. It says, the house of the Lord. So what is the house of the Lord? Again, we've defined it in previous weeks, but let me define it again. It's for us. It's church. Let me, let me prove that to you. See, in the Old Testament, God had a temple or a house, a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God is a people for his temple. God, in the Old Testament, there was a physical temple built in Jerusalem where God's presence was, and people could go there for pilgrimage and for regular weekly worship or uh, annual worship celebration type things, and there they would meet God. It was a building, and it, it carried the presence of God manifest among the people. However, today, we don't have a building, although we have buildings. We just have buildings just because it's nice to have buildings. But this is not the church. We are the church. We are God's people, and God dwells among us. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 to 22, describing the church, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So here's a description of church. Notice it's described as a dwelling where God lives. It's the same thing. Old Testament, temple, house of the Lord, New Testament, church. Same deal. The place where God resides on earth. It's God's residence on earth. It's where God loves being. I love my house. God loves his house. He loves being among his people. It's not just like we like coming to this place and gathering together. God totally loves being here among his people more than you could want to be here on a Sunday gathering. Fact. God loves it. Now, notice when you look at this description of church here, it's not just oh, a bunch of believers just hanging out, because I know that's quite trendy these days. Oh, just hang out, and we're just believers, just hang out. There's a bit more to it than that. There's a bit of design here. There's some architecture involved. There's structure there. Notice it. It's a foundation. It's built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. So this is talking about visionary leadership. Okay, so it's not just about churches anywhere believers just hang out. No, churches where believers hang out 
under the oversight of visionary God-given leadership on the foundation of Jesus Christ, on, on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Not just chatting about anything, but it's focused on Jesus and Bible-based. So church isn't just any loose definition of believers hanging out in a little cafe somewhere. It doesn't matter what building it's in. It's when believers have been birthed by God as a community under God-ordained oversight and leadership and built on the cornerstone Jesus Christ built on the Bible. Facts. That's, that's church. If you want a definition, that's what the church is. And it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, that you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Here the Bible calls you a living stone. And that's, that's, that's an interesting description. Problem with living stones is they just keep jumping out the wall. You know, they don't stay where they're put. They keep jumping out the wall, as opposed to a dead stone. It just does as it's told. But a living stone, we are living stones. And the picture here is that we are the building materials by which God is building this dwelling place. Now, every, every so often, I trained as an architect, okay? And every so often, I'll walk past uh, demolition sites, and you see bricks strewn across the, the site. Or you see them chucked into skips. And it makes me weep. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But I know that that's not what the bricks were meant for. The bricks weren't meant for the skip. No! The bricks weren't meant for the, the debris. or the, you know, right? they, they, they weren't meant for the skip. They weren't meant for the demolition site. The bricks were meant for the building. The bricks were meant for the wall. And yet I think that's a picture of somehow Christianity in Scotland and Christianity in Edinburgh. There's a lot of bricks that were designed to be living stones, were meant to be part of something awesome and incredible that are homeless, that are just strewn across the landscape of Edinburgh. Facts. According to Tier Fund survey in 2007, where they did a survey of the UK, apparently they've just produced a new one and it's going to be published very soon. Very keen to see it. They do an update every, every few years. They look at the state of the church in the, in the UK. And the 2007 survey showed that the number of de-churched people, that's people who would call themselves believers, authentic believers in God, really sincere about their belief and, and love for God, but they no longer go to church. They're totally disconnected from church. The number of de-churched people compared to those who are in church and connected in church, the ratio is two to one. So in other words, for every one person sitting in this room, there are two other people who are de-churched. And that's not just Destiny Church, Edinburgh. That's across the city. You think about the army that could have been mobilized, that's sitting like bricks strewn across a landscape, but we were designed to be living stones, meant to be part of a bigger thing. It says, you, you also, like living stones, are being built into. Being built into. Who's doing that? Who's the builder? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus said... Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In a similar way to earlier, we just read that verse, it says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, a tree doesn't plant itself. It is planted, the hand of God. And God wants to plant your life in an environment that will be an environment that will cause you to thrive throughout your days. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades 
will not overpower it. You wonder what Jesus Christ is doing today? You wonder what he's up to? On Sunday, the 20th of October 2013. <laughs> I've had a very busy life. <laughs> so you wonder what God's doing? Do you know what Jesus Christ is doing? He's not twiddling his thumbs. He's not thinking, oh, when am I going to return? He is actively doing something on planet Earth just now. He's doing this thing called church. Jesus is building something on earth. That's what he's doing. What are you doing? You know, if you're giving yourself to a lot of other things that are not that thing, a lot of other things in the name of Christianity that are not that thing, doesn't mean they're evil, but the thing that he's giving himself to, in fact, the thing that he gave his life for, is this thing, the church, his bride. The one he laid down everything for is this thing called the church. The most precious thing on planet Earth, as far as God is concerned, is the church, his people. He so loves it. The most important thing in Edinburgh today is not the Scottish Parliament. The most important thing in Edinburgh today are the local churches in the city. In fact, the hope of Edinburgh is not in the Scottish Parliament. The hope of Edinburgh and this nation has everything to do with the success of the local church in this nation. The success of the city is linked with the success of God's people in the city. It says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 to 11, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it's torn down. And you see this through history, that when God's people have thrived in a city or in a nation, that nation has gone up in every way, economically and everything. So we're living in Great Britain. What made Great Britain great? Well, you get your history books out and with an honest eye, really look at what made Britain break, great thingy great. It was Christianity. It was Jesus Christ. It was the church. It was, the, you know, I was reading articles not so long ago where it talked about the social care provision in our nation first came from the church and then it was taken over by the states and which for a while it went okay. But now we're seeing some cracks. The truth is that it was the church that birthed these things with a pure motivation. That God's house is the answer to our nation. I so believe in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, it's God's dream. It's God's dream. It's God's idea. We're just catching on with it. When I was a teenager, a little switch went on the inside of me. First, I got connected with God. That changed everything. And if you haven't been connected with God, come on. Come on, today. Why on earth would you want to live one more day on earth without being connected with God? You are so lost without him. Right, so I, that's, that changed. But then the other switch that went off on the inside of me when I was in my teens was I got this love for this thing called the local church. I started reading, I started reading the Bible and I just got so turned on to what God wanted to do through the church. It's his dream. It's his dream. It's his plan. And the truth is that nothing else will change society and the world and our city more than a live, Bible-based, gospel-preaching, disciple-making, spirit-filled, poor-loving, people-helping, God-glorifying, disciple-making, evangelistically motivated, God-fearing churches. Nothing will change the world more than that. Nothing. 
just than the church of Jesus Christ, just doing its thing. That's what our nation needs more than anything else. See, when it says, planted in the house of the Lord, as I said a moment ago, it implies something done to you. As I said, a tree doesn't plant itself. Someone did the planting. And we understand that God planted us. We didn't save ourselves. So today, if you're not saved today, and you get saved at the end of the service, it wasn't you who saved yourself. It's because God's hand's been on your life, you haven't been able to escape him, and today you just gave in. He saved you. And for everyone else here today who's a believer, God saved you. He planted you in the house of God. He did the planting. He established you. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. See that? If you're part of this church, the truth is that God put you here, that God established you here. And I believe that God has that for every single believer on planet earth. And it might be called Destiny Church, might be called St. Paul's and St. George's, might be called Leith Free Church, whatever it's called, all called differently. And yet God has that as an inheritance for every single believer. He wants every believer to be not just birthed into the universal church, but actually birthed into a local expression of the universal church under godly leadership with a great vision. And that's where you're going to flourish and that's where you're going to thrive. It's so important, so much so that if you look at the flip side of the coin, the Apostle John in the New Testament said this about people who leave church. Listen to what he says. It's quite shocking. First John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, have not have con- they would have continued with us. But they went out for us that it might become plain that they were not of us. Whoa. Kind of what he's saying is they left church as an evidence of the fact that they weren't gods in the first place. Am I saying that everyone who's left Destiny Church Edinburgh isn't gods? No. John is, though, but no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, that's right. Because sometimes people left Destiny Church Edinburgh because we haven't treated them well. So we need to take that on the chin. So we need to get wiser and look after people better, okay? But what John is saying is this He's saying that being connected with the local church is so close to your relationship with God that the fact is that many people who have left the local church, and even if they gave other reasons for it, actually, oftentimes, the reason undergirding it all is they are moving away from God. So when I see someone disconnecting from, they used to go to small group, they no longer go to small group. They used to serve in the team, they don't look good serving team. They used to come on Sundays, don't come on Sunday. Do you know what? I'm just, I'm concerned not just because they're leaving my church and it affects my church's numbers. It's not that. It's that I'm concerned that this might be them moving away from the Lord. And I don't want them to be out in the wilds exposed to the weathers. They need to be planted in a house. So, folks, you have to understand your spiritual well-being has everything to do with being planted in the house of the Lord. A seed cannot grow. It cannot reach its potential unless it's planted. A seed just lying on the ground won't do anything won't grow. The seeds won't reach its potential. Also, believers won't reach their potential unless they put their roots down. Giant trees need big roots. You want to go far? You need to go deep. 
you need to commit, you need to get roots down. Being planted in the house of, the God, house of God is so much more than just showing up on a Sunday. It's to do with commitment and consistency, being dedicated to a local church. Folks, you see, we treat the local church oftentimes the way we treat other things in our society today. We treat it like consumers treat shops or restaurants. We go along and we expect a certain service. And we don't get that service, we say, well, I'm not going to come back to this restaurant anymore, or I'm not going to go to that shop anymore. But when it comes to being planted in the house of God, we've got to have a far more mature mentality than that. You see, we're living in exciting days, but we're also living in days of immaturity. Here's the exciting thing. It's really exciting that you can hear preachers online or through God TV, right? That's really exciting, some of it, (laughs) okay? Uh, It's really exciting that you can go to so many great conferences, even in the city or around Scotland's where you get to hear great teaching and great stuff like that. That's exciting. Some of it. There's is so many opportunities you've got today. So many opportunities. You, could, you can just grow by sitting in your living room. There are so many opportunities. You know, you think about students. You've got opportunities in your student, with your student unions, Christian unions. You've got opportunity to get great teaching on a weekly basis through Christian unions. There's so many opportunities for Christians to get feeding and teaching in different places, books to read, video cassettes, um, you know, whatever. They're all there, and it's all available, and, you're, and you can grow. But the difficulty is that many people use that as a substitute from being planted in a local church, and it breeds immaturity. And actually, what happens is this. As you go from place to place, you don't grow. Truth is, in the Old Testament, there was one place you could go. It was in Jerusalem. It was the temple. That was it, right? If you, were, if you lived in Scotland, you had a long commute to church. That was just the way it was. When you move to the New Testament, it opened up a few more options for us. So we see there was the church at Corinth, and there was the church at Ephesus, and, and Paul wrote to the church at so-and-so's house, okay? So it had lots more options. But typically, if you were in Corinth, you went to the church at Corinth, Today, there are even more options. Today, in Edinburgh, you say, to the church in Edinburgh. Well, what one are you talking about, mate? There's dozens. There's dozens of great churches in Edinburgh. Lots of them. We're one of them. There's lots of many great shapes and sizes of churches. And that's cool. And that's great. But opportunity, sadly, also brings with it immaturity. That what can happen is this. You see people going from church to church to church, and they stay immature. They stay mature, and they they go to church for a while, and it's like a shop, or it's like a restaurant. They enjoy it for a while, and then there's a few rough edges in the church, and then they get put off the church, and they go to another church. And it's like the new church is always the best thing since sliced bread. It's like the honeymoon periods. But the truth is that just like relationships, churches, the honeymoon period comes and goes, and the moment comes in any relationship and in any church where you're just going to say, actually, I'm just going to put my roots down here, and I'm just going to graft, and I'm just going to grow. I might get offended here. I, I might get rubbed up the wrong way here. I might feel, even I might sometimes feel isolated here. But you know what? I'm going to put my roots down here, and I'm going to be part of the solution, and I'm going to grow in that place. And then you've got maturity. 
But if you are one of those people who just go from church to church to church, you can just hop on by. See ya. You're so not welcome in this church. Because actually what you've got to do is you've got to go back to the one you're meant to be at and put things right. If you have been offended at another church, if you've taken a huff at some other pastor or someone else in another local congregation, you need to get yourself back there and put that relationship right for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus died to, to save. And for the sake of your maturity, you will stay immature if you just carry gripes from every church you've been at. Deal with it. Go and resolve it. Now, having resolved it, if having resolved it, you think, hmm, I think I was meant to be there, then you stay there. Or if having resolved it, you think, Ashley, I'm meant to be at destiny, then welcome back. <laughs> but you've done things the right way. Sorry for my rant. So are you planted? Well, it's a great question because it's everything to do with your flourishing. A question you could ask to answer that question would be, well, how easy would it be to uproot you? Are you planted? How easy would it be to uproot you? You know, what would it take to uproot you? An offense? Um, a tough time in life? You know, you went through something and they didn't visit you or they didn't, okay? Not forgetting that sometimes maybe you haven't visited them because we're meant to be the body of Christ. Okay, so what would it take to uproot you? So I want us all to take responsibility for saying, God, we believe in your plan A and we're going to be planted. Stop dating churches. Commit to one put your roots down and grow up if you took a plant and kept moving it to another pot don't like that pot move into this pot that plant would never become the tree that fruitful tree that it should become and you will never become the person you long on becoming by just jumping from place to place god wants you to grow his agenda is you plant in the house of god now it says in the it says as an introduction to the psalm it says a psalm a song for the sabbath it's interesting. This is out of the 150 Psalms in the Bible. This is the only one that's dedicated to a day, and specifically the Sabbath day. Now, in those days, the Sabbath was Saturday. That was the Jewish Sabbath. Now, it's incredible because Jesus dies and then rose again on the, on the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, then you had all these thousands and thousands of Jews who used to worship God on the Sabbath changing their day of worship to the Sunday, the first day of the week. And they called it the Lord's Day. You know, in the book of Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day represented Resurrection Day, first day of the week, new beginnings. Amazing. Only the Resurrection could have changed staunch Jews to become worshipers on the Sunday rather than the Saturday. Amazing. But what I do find is this, that in this Old Testament psalm, that actually there was a weekly gathering where this was one of the songs that were sung. So also on, in the New Testament, you find people gathering on a weekly basis on the first day of the week where we worship God. And that's why being committed on a weekly basis to a New Testament church is important for you. Planted means be weekly. Planted means be committed. Planted means invest financially. 
Planted means invest with your gift and with your praying and with your talent. Planted means bring others. All this is what planted means. Okay, the first, I want to say two things to you from these verses that the verses kind of say. The first thing is this, people who are planted flourish and grow. Okay, it says in verse 12, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You know, you can have someone who says, but Peter, look at them. They don't go to church and they're doing just great. In fact, you might even see believers who are not going to church and they're doing just great. But it's interesting, the psalm acknowledges growth and flourishing outside of God and outside of church. It says in the early verse, verse 7, though the wicked sprout like the grass, that's talking about growth, and evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. So the truth is, both the wicked and the righteous flourish. The difference is, the wicked flourish like grass, but the righteous flourish like a palm tree or like a cedar in Lebanon. And here's the difference. Grass is seasonal. Cedars and palm trees are evergreen. And the picture that you want to apply to your life isn't just that you flourish for a bit of your life. You know, I managed to flourish without God. Hey, well done. Or I managed to flourish without church. Yay. But it's not long term. It's like grass. It's seasonal. But if you want to be one who flourishes no matter what the season of life no matter what the weather is like, then you plant in the house of the Lord. Let's look at the cedar and the palm. It's interesting, the cedar and the palm also appear in Solomon's temple. It says in 1 Kings 6 verse 15, that he lined the interior walls with cedar boards, paneling for them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. So the actual walls of the temple were made out of cedar. A little bit further on in that chapter, verse 29, it says, On the walls all around the temple, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. So isn't it interesting that here's the psalmist talking about someone who's planted in the house of the Lord like a palm tree, flourishing like a palm tree, and is growing like a cedar. But it's interesting that those, those cedar was the material that they made the house of God out of, and palm trees were what they engraved on the walls of the house of God. Interesting, isn't it? So it's not just that they're planted in the house of God. We are the materials by which the house of God is. We're just so inseparable from the house of God. So the palm, the palm tree can grow to 200 years old. The palm tree grows slowly and steadily from century to century. It's a slow, consistent growth. The palm tree can withstand hurricanes. When other trees would have been blown over and demolished through a hurricane, the palm tree still stands. It will bend but not break. In fact, palm trees, after a storm, will spring back into the upright position and actually will be stronger in its infrastructure, more stronger than it was before the storm. So the palm tree, it not only survives, but also thrives in a desert. That's the picture we're being given here by the Bible. It's a picture of a tree that can thrive even in a desert like planet Earth. That as a human being, 
you can thrive no matter what the situation. So when it's saying the righteous will flourish like a palm tree, it's saying this, that you can flourish even if there's a storm because your life is planted in God's house. That you can flourish even if you're in a desert because your life is planted in God's house. Your roots go down deep beyond the sands where the moisture is. Then a cedar. Now, the name cedar comes from the, apparently an Arabic root, which means strong or firmly rooted. Apparently, cedars can grow for thousands of years. There's, there's recorded cedars at 3,000-year-old cedars. These are longevity. Cedar trees can grow to 130 foot, and apparently in the years 40 to 70, they can grow to about 40 to 60 foot. But then over, it takes over 100 years for it to get to the over 130-foot mark. And, but here's the point. The point is that it doesn't just have a growth spurt that maintains a constant height. It continually grows even in old age. So when it's talking about the righteous will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, it's saying this, longevity. It's saying establishedness and longevity. It's saying that you're established in God's house will give you a longevity in life and ultimately an eternal life. Cedar grows downwards. It sends a taproot down and it anchors itself on deep rocks buried below this ground, which gives it stability above the ground. It also sends taproot down to find the moisture, even in barren places. Cedars can grow in extreme conditions. Cedars are often found up near eternal snow in very cold, extreme climates, as opposed to the palm, which appears often in desert, very hot, arid places. And yet the cedar can survive even in the eternal snows. Why? Because it's got deep roots. And your deep roots in life come from your, ultimately your connection to God, but your connection to God among God's people. Cedars also grow outwardly. You've seen cedar trees. They're broad trees. They're, they're not just like tall poles, but they're tall, they're wide and broad, and they spread out. And it speaks of this, that as you're planted in God's house, you become then a provision of shade to others. You become a place of safety and shelter for the world around you. Just as I said earlier, it's the church that will be the success of this city. So how does commitment to church cause you to grow and to flourish? Some say, I can do fine without the church, thank you. But it says in Proverbs 18, verse 1, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. John Wesley said, There is nothing as unchristian as a lone Christian. The Bible has wisdom when it talks about being connected in a local church for your sake. Here's why. It's for the sake of your encouragement. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. Let us consider how to simulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the truth. There should be a church gatherings, small groups, should be a place of encouragement. You need encouragement in your faith. It's like a coal in the fire. You take the coal out of the fire, you can say, well, will that coal still stay hot? Will it stay red hot? Yes, it will, but for a short time. 
It won't be long before that coal that was burning bright and red hot in the fire becomes black and cold and ineffective. Same too with a believer. You need this environment called the Church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says you shouldn't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing. But rather, what's the opposite? That you're in a place of encouragement. Now, you can't make that happen towards you. You can't say, please give me encouragement. You can't say it to people around you. But what you can do is you can give that to someone else. So today, before you leave the gathering, today, before you leave the gathering, this is homework, encourage someone. Not in a meaningless way. I was told to encourage someone, so you're a nice person. You know, so a bit more meaningful. Encourage someone before you leave the gathering. It should be a place of encouragement because the world's discouraging enough and you need to burn brightly and the place of encouragement should be the local church. One of the best places you can get this in a meaningful way is in small groups. If you're not in a small group, try find one through the week. It's a great place for you to grow in encouragement. Church is needed for personal growth. You see, you can technically, can I be a Christian without going to church? Technically, yes, you can be a Christian without going to church. But you cannot live the Christian life without going to church. It says in Sam, sorry, Proverbs 27, verse 17, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So, again, it's very hard for you just to say, okay, make this happen for me, but you go make this happen for others. Some of you do this without realizing it. Anyway, but actually you can do it in a positive way as well where your life can help sharpen other people by bringing challenge. Or say you see someone sleeping with a girlfriend and they're not married. You can sharpen that brother, because they call himself a brother, and you can say, mate, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. You should get a Bible, thwack them with it and challenge them. And say, if you don't deal with it, I'll tell the pastor, right? Fantastic. I'm serious. It is fantastic. And some of you just sit silently when that stuff goes on. What are you playing at? Get your Bibles out and whack them. And tell them you love them and you're committed to them. And you're so committed to them that you're not going to sit silently when they do stupid stuff. I'm serious. You see some, some people doing stupid stuff and you sit by as if it's okay. Come on. It's not okay. They call themselves believers. If you love each other, that's how you live. Come on. Get your Bibles out. Thump each other. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's how church should be. It's f- See, you can, technically you can be a Christian without the church, sure. But you cannot live the Christian life without the church because God's more interested in your sanctification. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. And that only happens in this environment called the church of Jesus Christ. Also, a great place to be sharpened is on a team. Serve on a team. If you're not serving in the church, don't just be a, a spectator. Be a participator. There's so many areas. Man, there's so many areas of need in the church. We'd love you to get involved, whether it's midweek with the homeless ministry or we're helping distribute food to the poor or whether it's on Sundays with the bands. Oftentimes, you notice we haven't had a drummer for, I don't know, for a wee while. But maybe you're a drummer. So if you think you're a drummer but you're not really, then I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about someone who actually is a drummer. Okay. And if you're not sure if you're a drummer, talk to one of these people who will tell you if indeed you are a drummer or you just had this prophecy. <laughs> so, serve on a team because that will sharpen you. 
The second thing I see in these verses is this. People who are planted produce fruit and stay fresh. Verse 14, it says, They will still bear fruit in old age. They will be ever full of sap and very green. Now, some people are full of stuff that sounds like sap. (laughs) But these people are full of sap. Now, other translations say fat and green. Describes a healthy tree, a thriving tree, a fruitful tree. Fat, green, saps. We want to be the church of the fat, green saps. (laughs) Green, full of sap, healthy. And what's it talking about? It's talking about the longevity of your fruitfulness in life. The palm, you know, see the palm tree, it just keeps producing fruit throughout its lifetime. Did you know that? That actually its fruit doesn't diminish as it gets older. A palm tree, some of the best and sweetest fruit a palm tree produces is actually produced in its latter years. The older the palm tree, the sweeter the fruit. The best dates from a date palm is produced between 30 and 100 years old in the date palms. So here's our vision. We're a vi- we, we, we want to be a church, okay? We started the church 15 years ago. It's been a bit of a pioneering church. When I started the church, I was 22 years old. That's when we started. And like attracts like, so we're a very young church. And that's cool. Young people come and go, and that's cool. I, th- I, th- I count it a real honor to be a leader of a church where people come and then people go, where people are here for, you know, a sabbatical or for, they're here for a couple of years or they're on exchange or they're here to study for four years or they're, they're in the city for a while and then they, they're in this, then they go back to another country or, or whatever. It's a privilege and an honor to pass to you and to be part of your life and have you in this church during the season that you're in Edinburgh. Welcome to our city. We love you. You're very much part of our family, even if you're here for a month or for a year. Great. And do you know what? We've had people, I'm thinking of our friends, Adrian and Fiona, some of you remember them, when we, they, they left the church just as we bought this building. So that was way back in 2003. And one thing that struck me about them is they were in the church for about a year and a half. So they were just passing through. They were from Australia. They came for a year and a half and went back to Australia. But when they were here, they were 100% here. They were planted here. I love that. They even went on our According to the Pattern membership course. They weren't going to be here for like 10 years. They thought, no, well, when we're here, we want to be fully here. They served as stewards in the stewarding team. They helped do some media stuff with us. Adrian hung this projector. No one else was willing to. Just brilliant. And we reckon he's around for a year and a half, if it all goes wrong. Anyway. So... But I just love that mentality. So we are a church where people come and people go. And that, you know, that's tough as well because we're in a... Leith and Gorgia kind of transient populations as well. So some of you found that hard. You've been in the church longer and you've known people and then they're no longer here. And you're like, ah. And that's tough emotionally. But you know, we also want to be, we also want to be a church where people can grow old here. You know, I'd love to see Jude as an old grumpy woman. I mean, do you know what I think? <laughs> that would be outstanding. She'd just say whatever she wants. Just, oh, fantastic. I would love to be a church where people can grow old. We do lots and lots and lots and lots of weddings. We don't do many funerals. 
but I'd love the privilege of doing some of your funerals. I'd love it to be a church where when you're in a nursing home, we visit you. And, and when I say we, if you're expecting the senior leadership to do everything, that's not church. I mean, we, that we're the community of God's people. You're taking responsibility for each other. We're loving each other. And it's true community. I'd love to be that kind of church. A church where people can, in their latter years, bear tons of fruit. Like a palm tree. Even more fruitful in their latter years than they even are in the early stages of their Christianity. Proverbs 4, 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Ivan, who's doing the healing meetings today, he's in his mid-late 60s. But do you know what? I reckon that he's bearing more fruit in these latter years of his life, more fruit than he ever has. And if you, if you want an example of any person who's really rooted in God and planted in the house of God, Ivan. I don't know anyone like him. I love him to bits. He's so authentically committed to church and to God. And yet his life is just brimming with fruit. All you see in India came from Ivan. God used Ivan to open that door in India. Hundreds of churches now. Nearly 600 churches. Orphanage. Helping the widows. Just amazing stuff. More fruit in old age. That's what God wants for you. And if, if, you're, if you're in latter years, just, I just want to encourage you. God has got great things for your years ahead. Great things. Be rooted in a local church. Be under God's authority. Be planted and rooted in God himself. You'll be fruitful. Evergreen and ever-growing. These trees weren't just green throughout season after season after season. They kept growing through the duration. The palm tree just kept growing through the duration of its life. You know, you're really old when you've stopped on the inside before you've stopped on the outside. And you see some young people who are old. They're still growing on the outside, but on the inside they've stopped. They've got stuck in a rut. But what I love is when you see people who, they haven't stopped on the outside, they're still alive, but on the inside, they're still hungry to grow. My dad's like that. My dad's 86. Reads his Bible every day. Can't wait to get to go to church twice on a Sunday because he wants to learn he loves it. He, he buzzes about it. He's just hungry for more of God. It's a good way to be. Then I end with this question, who is your rock? But verse 15, it says, to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. You know, the most secure place you could be at in life, the most secure place you could be in life, would be to be someone who is, number one, finding God as your rock. Number two, your life is planted in the house of the Lord. You can't, you actually, and as I said earlier, you can't separate those two. You can't have one without the other or vice versa. If you just have God as your rock and not connected to the local church, it's really not the picture the Bible gives you. It won't be a place of thriving. If you're, if you're just connected with the local church, but you're not really got God as your rock, then you won't be able to stick in there. Because actually, the reason you're here, the reason you're going to do well in Destiny Church Edinburgh isn't because it's all based on Peter Anderson, or isn't because it's all based on you like the style of worship here, or it isn't because it's all based on, uh, you know, it was convenient because it's just a wee short walk from my house. The honeymoon will pass, folks. You need God to be your rock in this church. 
You need God to be your rock in this church. And if God's your rock in this church, all your days you'll be able to find satisfaction and joy among this people because God's your source, not us. And a person in old age, they're at this, this latter stage of life and they're declaring that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There's no unrighteousness in him. You know, when you're in your old age, you've lived your life, you are at the point where you're able to say in retrospect, he's been my rock. Right through my days, he's been my rock. Verse 2, it said, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Sure, that could be on a day, but also that could be a life. Your life began with a bright freshness, an awakening to God because of his love. And at the end of your life, you've proven and said, God, at the dawning of my life, you've been faithful. You've been true. So who's your rock? I was, I was with one of our church members' dads who was dying. He died uh, a week and a half ago, and I was with him a week before that. And what was paramount in my mind was the question is, is he really trusting God just now? Or is he, is he thinking, I'll be good enough to get into heaven myself by my own goodness? Or is he really trusting God as his rock? So I want to put that to you today. I know you're not on your deathbeds, but it's a very healthy place to live. Asking the questions you would ask if you were on your deathbed, that's a way to live. Is God your rock? Are you trusting truly? Are you truly trusting on the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died in your place on a cross for your sins? Or do you think you're good enough to oh, God will accept me because I'm a nice guy? Or do you, do you know, are you depending on that Savior who died brutally on your behalf on the cross? He's my rock. I depend totally on him. Well, you're ready. That's a good way to live. It was said about the early Christians that they did not necessarily outlive their contemporaries, but they certainly outdied them. That in the early church, believers knew how to die well. We, we, in this psalm, we've discovered that the wicked and the righteous both flourish. But the wicked flourish like grass, and the righteous flourish like a palm and like a cedar of Lebanon. The difference is how long you flourish for. And if God's your rock, the eternal God, then you become an eternal person living forever in connection with God. Let's pray. Okay, so what would be great to do just now is just to respond to God. And I guess we can all respond differently. In a moment or two, the stewards are going to help us and we're going to have communion. And I think what better a Sunday to have communion than a Sunday when we've been talking about the importance of this community called the church. But what would be really good before we do that is this, if, if you're here today and you know that you and God are not connected, then this is your moment. This is your moment to wait any longer. Come today and give your entire life to God. Put your trust in Jesus who died for you on the cross and rose again. If that's you today and you want to do that, then let me help you by leading you in a very simple prayer. Just repeat this after me, one line at a time just under your breath. Pray, dear God, thank you so much for your love for me. 
I want you to be the rock of my life from now on. Jesus, I trust in you, the one who died for me, died to take away my sin and rose again. I turn from a life of sin and I choose to pursue you from this day forward. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Jesus, be Lord of my life from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. Just put your hand up. If you prayed that prayer, quickly raise your hand. I want to pray for you. So anyone like that today? I'll just wait for a minute. Put your hand up nice and clear so I can see you. If you made that decision saying, today, Peter, I don't want to live another day without God. I want God to be the rock of my life. Then quickly raise your hand. Thank you. Is there anyone else? dear friends today who have affirmed that they want you to be the rock of their lives let them today know your acceptance of them that you are their rock in life in death in eternity in jesus name